Welcome to the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations Interviews Podcast, a series of brief conversations with leading China experts on key issues in the Sino-American relationship. For more interviews, videos, and links to events, visit us at www.ncuscr.org. On July 23rd, the United States government ordered the Chinese consulate in Houston to close with 72 hours' notice. Less than a week later, the American consulate in Chengdu was vacated as reciprocation from Beijing. As a PhD candidate at Harvard's Department of Government, Naima Green-Riley's dissertation project focuses on U.S. and Chinese public diplomacy, merging theoretical work from the fields of political science, communications, and psychology. During her time in the Foreign Service, Naima Green-Riley was the public affairs officer at the U.S. Consulate General in Alexandria, Egypt during the Arab Spring from 2011 to 2013. She also served as a consular officer in the U.S. Consulate General in Guangzhou, China during the Obama administration's pivot to Asia from 2014 to 2015. Naima Green-Riley received a bachelor's degree in international relations with honors from Stanford University, and she was a Belfer Center International and Global Affairs Fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School, where she graduated with a master's in public policy. What do we know about the U.S. government's motivations for ordering the closing of the Chinese consulate in Houston? Similarly, how has the CCP framed their order to shut down the U.S. consulate in Chengdu? And who are the intended audiences for these statements, both domestic and external? Let's just start at the beginning, which is that we know that last Tuesday, July 21st, uh, the U.S. government uh, told the Chinese consulate that they should close their, um, all of their operations by Friday, July 24th. And so it basically gave the Chinese consulate in Houston about 72 hours to um, to close down operations and to sort of leave the city of Houston. And the stated reason for that, what Deputy Secretary of State uh, Stephen Egan said was that there were increasingly aggressive moves by China, such as commercial espionage, unequal treatment of our diplomats um, and other US, uh, US citizens who were doing business with China, and an abuse of United States academic freedom that had led to this decision to close the consulate. It's interesting because the reasons that the State Department gave for closing the consulate were actually quite general. And one could imagine with the current US-China relationship, that argument being made about any of the places where the Chinese government has a consulate in the United States. And so people who have sort of seen this unfold have started to say that the reasons actually appear quite general and broad. And that's led many of us to start to think about why right now the decision was made to close the consulate in Houston. Now, anytime you close a consulate, you do some sort of damage to a bilateral relationship. But some have thought that actually the choice to close Houston was made in order to take the least amount of risk when you consider the business and the diplomatic ties that are based in that area. There are Chinese consulates in New York, Chicago, San Francisco, LA, and many have said that those other cities are actually more crucial to the US-China relationship. And so perhaps this is a move to sort of choose the one that will have the least impact. But at the end of the day, it's difficult to imagine that it doesn't have something to do with the increasing amount of competitiveness between Donald Trump and uh, Joe Biden. And so we know that 
there are now less than 100 days until the presidential election in the United States. And we know that China has consistently been used, even before this electoral race, as sometimes a scapegoat, sometimes a topic that is known to sort of rally up nationalist sentiment in the United States. And if that's the case, then it can't be ignored that the Trump administration made the choice to close this consulate at a time when the administration knew that that would, to some extent, rally the Trump base. And so definitely there seems to be political motivation behind closing the consulate. Beyond that, we'll have to continue to monitor the situation to see if there were some sort of activities going on at the consulate that we didn't know about that also led to the specific closure of Houston. I actually want to talk a little bit about Houston and why Houston might have been chosen beyond just this idea that there was minimal risk, if I can. Do you mind? So Houston is, if not necessarily the city with the largest implications for the U.S. trade relationship with China, definitely a city of symbolic significance. There's an iconic sort of video clip or picture that many will see of Deng Xiaoping, who in 1979 made his first state visit to the United States. It was right after the normalization of US-China relations. And he's at a rodeo, he's wearing a cowboy hat. And actually that was a stop on a number of different city visits that Deng Xiaoping made. But that visit actually opened up uh, the path for Houston to be the city where the first Chinese consulate in the United States was based. So the consulate in Houston has always had sort of a historical symbolism and significance. Houston's also the city where in 2002, Yao Ming, who is an iconic Chinese basketball player, was uh, recruited to play with the Houston Rockets. And the Chinese took a lot of pride in that. It opened up the doorway to a pretty large fandom in mainland China for the NBA. And that, uh, instance in itself linked, of course, to a much more recent incident in 2019, October, when the general manager of the Houston Rockets ended up tweeting a picture and some words about protests that were happening in Hong Kong. PRC did not like that Maori had, uh, had, had posted that tweet. And so that led to, of course, uh, a number of repercussions for the NBA. The Chinese government said that um, they were going to end sponsorships between the NBA and some Chinese companies. They cut broadcasts of NBA games in China. And Houston was sort of at the center, the epicenter of all of this happening. And so symbolically, there's probably something there in the decision to close the Houston consulate. The U.S. government, the Deputy Secretary of State, and others have said that some of this decision is related to concerns about espionage, Chinese espionage in the United States. There has definitely been an increase in cases of Chinese nationals being charged with stealing intellectual property or trade secrets across the United States. There was one particular case in November 2019 in which a Chinese employee of a oil refining company called um, Phillips 66 admitted to stealing some information about basically some technology that that company was using. And so there is evidence that at least in one case pretty recently, there was a case of intellectual property theft um, that hit the news and became public. But once again, 
if there's something very specific about the extent to which that was happening in Houston or the extent to which um, the Houston consulate was uh, causing that type of an activity, then that particular information has not been made abundantly clear to the public. That's so interesting. I never thought about the the rockets and the symbolism, not just to the to Americans and American foreign policy, but also I'm sure the Chinese population. Houston means something to them through various, be it Deng Xiaoping or um, Yao Ming. They're, that's really interesting. That that's significant. So thank you so much for adding that. On the flip side. How has the CCP, how have their statements been interpreted by various audiences? And, and what do you think that they were trying to do closing the Chengdu consulate? Right. Well, right after the U.S. government asked the consulate in Houston to close its doors, um, of course, the Chinese foreign ministry spokesman made comments about this, said that uh, what the United States was doing was um, was unfortunate because it would only lead to uh, greater antagonism on both sides. We are at a point in the U.S.-China relationship in which uh, China is really not willing to be seen as weak. The Chinese Communist Party has elected a very strong leader in Xi Jinping, and absolutely that leadership is unwilling to be seen as being uh, forced into a corner by the Trump administration. Many suspected that after the U.S. government asked the Chinese government to close its consulate, that the Chinese government would reciprocate. That did end up happening. Some suspected that actually the consulate in Wuhan would be asked to close because Wuhan was, of course, where the coronavirus started. After the outbreak happened, U.S. diplomats actually already had evacuated from Wuhan. And Wuhan and Houston are often considered sister consulates in the bilateral relationship. And so many thought well, the Chinese government will officially close the U.S. consulate in Wuhan. But instead, the Chinese government chose Chengdu. Chengdu is a, the capital of Sichuan province. It is considered to be about the same in terms of uh, its impact on the U.S.-China trade relationship. But I think we have to see the Chinese government making the decision to ask the United States to close its consulate as a refusal to be seen as weak. They're basically saying that if you're going to take aggressive actions against us, we're going to throw that right back in your face. And the need for the CCP to do that is completely centered around the need to be seen strong domestically. The way that sort of government to people relations uh, operate in China is very much based on one of the state continually demonstrating its, its competence and its, its ability to govern in a way that is best for Chinese citizens, in a way that projects Chinese authority not only within China, but abroad, so that Chinese citizens can continue to be loyal patrons of that government. And so absolutely the decision to close the U.S. consulate in Chengdu can be seen as sort of like a, a, a tactic meant to, to express to Chinese citizens that even though the United States has taken this aggressive move, we can also show our might and show our ability to stand strong by doing the same to the U.S. We don't actually need that relationship as much as they think we do.
Speaking as a former diplomat, and maybe you could mention briefly where, where you served, um, why are consulates, and especially the diplomats who work in them and are stationed at consulates, important for a productive bilateral relationship, as opposed to just the embassy that's in the capital of a country? Why are regional consulates so important to a bilateral relationship? Yeah, well, so just as a, a primer, uh, in a bilateral relationship, uh, what's considered a normal diplomatic relationship, uh, countries would at least have embassies that are based in the capitals, as you just mentioned. But in addition to that, um, countries at their own discretion and in consultation with the country that they are having a relationship with can decide to open up diplomatic missions in larger cities in foreign countries abroad as well. And so consulates can be set up in other city, cities and it's not necessarily uh, dictated where those consulates have to be. But they play a hugely important role in bilateral relationships because, first of all, they're a place where visas can be issued. And while that might seem like a small part of a bilateral relationship, it's actually hugely important to the relations between the two countries because visas allow citizens, for example, from the United States to travel to China, to create business ties with uh, Chinese businesses, to engage on a cultural or people-to-people -people level with Chinese citizens. And so the Houston consulate was a place where non-Chinese citizens, so Americans or actually people of other nationalities could go and apply for visas to China. But beyond that, they facilitated travel to China. So that meant that those who wished to have easy access to China, to travel frequently to China, could go through the Houston consulate to get, China's, to get visas that were renewed and, and to go to the PRC. And um, the Houston Chronicle did a great article just on this entire incident and found that there were 44 Houston firms that had a total of 113 branch offices in China at the time that this decision was made last week. And there were 17 Chinese companies that had a total of 23 branch offices in Houston at the time that this occurred. And so that meant that companies are actually opening up in Houston in order to be closer to this consulate that could process their visas so that they could travel in between the two countries. Now, in addition to business ties, I think that consulates in general just become hubs of greater state-to-state -state activity. So often they're the places where sister city relationships are formed between different cities in the U.S. and China or in the U.S. and other places. They are, in many senses, a hub for diplomacy between two countries. And any place where a consulate is based is a place that has diplomats from the foreign nation living and working in the city. And at the end of the day, closing the consulate in Houston means not only uh, getting rid of access to visas, not only getting rid of a quick one-stop shop for people who would like to apply to travel to the United States and China for business relations, but also getting rid of a place where Chinese diplomats could be based and set up meetings with local city officials, set up meetings with local universities, uh, create academic programs that would allow for exchange between different students from both countries, 
set up citizen exchanges that went beyond the gates of universities in the area and allow for people to people exchange. I previously, before I started my PhD, was a US diplomat and I served at two consulates. And the last consulate that I served at was in China. It was the US consulate to Guangzhou. And I was working in Guangzhou in 2014 and 2015 which was uh, a time that many have referred to as a pivot to Asia in the Obama administration. And so that was a time when we were actually very focused on expanding our relationship with China in a number of ways. We, at the time, had just opened up a number of consulates. And so we had a total of five consulates in China. So we had uh, Guangzhou, Chengdu, Shanghai, Shenyang, and Wuhan. Then we had the embassy in Beijing. And then in the surrounding area and places that were related to China. We also had embassies and consulates that were supporting that relationship. And so it's very, very interesting. And I have to say somewhat sad to see the dynamism of creating greater consular ties between the two countries sort of tapering off now with the decision to close this consulate. I'll also say that just generally speaking, closing a consulate is a rather it was, it's a big ordeal, right? You're basically making all of that staff go away and you're making them leave. You're shutting down all of the um, physical premises, but also all of the, all the mechanisms that make that day-to-day -day relationship actually work, make it simmer. It's something that in the past has not necessarily been done flippantly and it would take quite a while to rebuild the infrastructure that really undergirds the operations of the consulate. I feel like you've already primed the audience for my next question, but what will be the cost for Chinese and American foreign nationals uh, who are living uh, in Texas and Sichuan, which is the province where Chengdu is located? And what could be the cost for the regions themselves? So the immediate cost will be uh, the inability of people in Houston to apply for visas, the inability of having that access to the consulate and able to facilitate that travel. Now, that doesn't mean that all of those companies that I mentioned, those Chinese companies that have offices in Houston have no recourse. It doesn't mean that all of those companies in Houston that have offices in China have no recourse. They can apply for visas through other consulates um, in the United States. But since those are further away, New York, uh, Los Angeles, Chicago, it means that they'll either have to use couriers or they'll have to make trips themselves to those consulates in order to process the visas, which is more work, um, which, you know, is a cost that wasn't imposed previously. So, of course, it's something that's going to be felt uh, by those companies. And probably the smaller businesses are the ones that are going to feel, to feel those costs the most. It means that students who may have been going to Rice in Houston or to UT Austin, just a little bit away, who used to know that they had a consulate very close to them where if something happened, they could sort of make a phone call so that they could get support, for example, replacing a passport or just getting support for something related to being a Chinese citizen overseas. Now we'll have that there. But in the larger scheme of things, I think that there are some grander repercussions for um, the decision that was made. So first of all, as I mentioned, consulates are at their core diplomatic missions. They're places where diplomacy takes place. 
And I think that a number of people since President Trump came into office have made commentary that perhaps diplomacy is not the tool of international statecraft that the Trump administration values the most. Perhaps there are tools of sort of sanctioning or coercion that seem to be more readily used by this administration. But if you systematically begin to cut down on avenues for diplomatic exchange, if you systematically begin to infringe upon the institutions that are created in order to really facilitate dialogue between countries, then I would say you're going to actually move into an arena where the only tools at your disposal are actually ones that are less focused on dialogue and perhaps more focused on some other type of interaction. And because the United States and China are increasingly in an antagonistic relationship, we have to ask ourselves, does that mean that we're going to start relying more on tools that would create greater friction if we don't have those diplomatic resources to draw on? I was thinking about what might happen now that this is an option that's on the table. I was wondering if there's any precedent for this kind of action by the U.S. government, be it toward China or another country. Um, well, first I'll say that it does happen from time to time that countries make their own decisions to close down diplomatic missions, to close down consulates, and that could happen for a range of reasons. It could happen just because of a change of priorities in terms of their international relationships abroad. It could happen because of budget cuts. But a country directing another country to close down a diplomatic mission, uh, mission doesn't happen very often. Um, in fact, Usually, if we saw something like the U.S. government or a government in general accusing uh, a consulate of having someone on staff who is suspected of being a spy, being uh, engaging in espionage, um, the recourse would be to declare that person or those persons as persona non grata and to PNG them. That's where the term PNG comes from, which means to deport them. Basically say, you're no longer allowed to work at this um, diplomatic mission, you need to return and be replaced by somebody who's not going to spy on us. That's not what happened in this case. Instead, the entire consulate was closed down. There are a couple of recent examples of consulates being closed in the United States since President Trump has taken office, but both of those were also in quite different circumstances. So um, in 2017, the Russian consulate in San Francisco was closed. And the reason for that was that um, the Russian government had already asked a number of U.S. diplomats to leave Russia. And so basically, the Russian government seemed to be downsizing U.S. missions in Russia. And as a response to that, the U.S. government consulted with a number of people and they decided that they should shut down one of the Russian consulates in the United States. Um, in 2018, again, a Russian consulate this one, the one, this time the one in Seattle was asked to close. That happened in the midst of, uh, of a diplomatic incident related to a Russian, a former Russian spy in the UK who had been somewhat mysteriously poisoned and there were concerns that the Russian government had done this. And so in response to that action, the Russian consulate in Seattle was asked to close. Both of those had perhaps some longer lead up but once again, 
sort of like this decision that within three days you need to immediately close the consulate and that this is sort of a reaction to general deterioration in our relationship and a general distrust of the Chinese government and its intentions moving forward is something that's relatively new. It is definitely something that seems to be in the toolkit of the Trump administration more than it has been in previous, previous U.S. administrations. The rhetoric that's being used around this entire issue is increasingly rhetoric that we're hearing from Trump officials. So the day, two days after the consulate was asked to close, the Houston consulate was asked to close, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo gave a speech at the Nixon Library where he basically laid out that the United States was not interested in continuing to try to engage with China when clearly for several decades, he said, engagement had not worked with the PRC. And so that speech very much encapsulated the spirit of the Trump administration moving towards more aggressive stance, a more aggressive stance towards China. Similar aggressiveness as the type of actions that we saw in the trade war and in other aspects of the US-China relationship. Uh, one last thing I'll say is that it certainly appears that there has been an uptick in the amount of time that the Trump administration has dedicated to talking about the China issue. So in the past couple of months, we've seen speeches by four Trump officials, with four Trump administration officials. We saw on Thursday, July 23rd, we saw Mike Pompeo give a speech at the Nixon Library about China's increasing aggressiveness. We also saw speeches by attorney, the attorney general, the, the FBI director, and we've also seen a recent speech by the national security advisor that were all focused on the US-China relationship. I'll say that once again, each of these speeches came very close to the upcoming election, but at least they have started to give us more of a sense of how the Trump administration is thinking sort of holistically about the U.S. relationship with China. I think the step that we haven't seen is that we hear increasing rhetoric about the actions that the U.S. wants to take against China. Many are still waiting for a comprehensive and comprehensible strategy towards China moving forward, meaning that we not only want to hear about the actions that the administration will take, but also about some of the goals that the administration has in the relationship moving forward. And so if the aim is to continue to ramp up sort of these aggression, aggressive actions against China, the question is, to what end? What actually is the vision for a relationship between the US and China moving forward? Thank you so much for answering all those questions. I actually, I have one more follow-up question that I can't, can't help but ask, hoping to lean on your experience as a former diplomat. I mean, I'm sure you obviously, you're not sitting in the meetings anymore, but what do you imagine is going on in the State Department? How are they reacting right now? Well, you're right. I did leave the State Department several years ago. And so um, I definitely am not privy to what's happening in terms of meetings or any official relationship between the U.S. and China now. But I can imagine that there is definitely probably a sense of rising unease and a sense of just confusion right now that must be happening um, 
for diplomats, I would say on both sides of the equation, because there is an aspect to being asked to leave a country in a short amount of time that's going to ruffle anyone's feathers, right? Just think about the extent. I mean, when diplomats move to different countries, they literally pack up all their belongings, they pack up their kids, their spouses, their partners, and they move to this new city and they settle there. That's where they live. That's where they send their kids to school. That's where they go shopping and, you know, live in, in, in communities. And so, first of all, just... I can't imagine having to leave so quickly from any place, but not only are people leaving for a short amount of time, you know, diplomats are evacuated from situations all the time. If there's a natural disaster, if there's something like a pandemic, they're asked to leave for a short amount of time, then they'll come back. But to leave and close down a consulate means that there's really no opportunity to come back at a later point. Any initiatives that diplomats were working on in order to strengthen what's left of the bilateral relationship between the US and China really must have been put on hold and put on hold not in a way where they would be able to resume them, but where they probably have to just sort of leave it up to whoever in other consulates and other places to continue the work. And so, I mean, absolutely right now, I think that both sides must be feeling some, some extent of sort of just trying to put together the pieces again and salvage whatever work was happening. And I think that those are some of the costs that you incur when you shut down a diplomatic mission, when you cut off diplomacy that is happening between two sides. Now, of course, there's a question of, in the rising tensions, how much productive and influential diplomacy was even happening between the two sides at this point in time. But absolutely, there's no chance that it's going to happen in a consulate that doesn't exist. And it's funny because as I'm speaking to you, something is coming to mind. I was sitting in some talk somewhere last week when I heard, I think, a former U.S. official use the term uh, burning the boats. And it's a term that actually is adapted from an old Chinese saying. There was a Chinese general who basically once, in a time of war, instructed uh, his men to sink the boats and break all the kettles because they were going to advance, they were gonna move forward in the situation and he didn't want any turning back. And so there's this idea that in order to make sure that his men would fully commit to this course of action, you had to burn everything or you had to get rid of everything behind you, just decimate it all and just move forward. And certainly there's an aspect of closing up consulates so that they won't reopen that has sort of the same symbolism as sink in the boats, you know, we can't go back, we're really committing to this course of action, and one that actually seems like it's increasingly antagonistic, and I hope that that's not the case, I hope there is a way to change course at some point so that we can maintain some sort of a healthy and uh, productive and cooperative relationship with China moving forward, but right now we're just seeing one more action that will take away from our ability to do that. Yeah, that, that is an amazing analogy and just makes me a bit more worried about where, where we're heading now that we are burning the boats. It makes me wonder what path we are committing to, but thank you so much for that insight. Thank you so, so much for giving of your time and um, providing a bit of clarity in what is a very murky situation. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I really enjoyed this chance to step back and think about what's happening right now.
For more interviews, videos, and links to events like this one, visit us at www.ncuscr.org.